That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Ramey. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. If you're looking to quit or cut back on your drinking, we have one of the best 30-day alcohol-free challenges out there. It's helped hundreds of men all over the country quit drinking alcohol, find purpose, become better fathers, leaders, husbands, all that good stuff. You can sign up today. You can check out all of our other podcasts and resources by going to thatsoberguy.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at thatsoberguypodcast. Oh, man, I love this jam. I've heard it thousands of times probably. Still one of my favorites. Big shout out to humans all the way from Canada, bringing the show intro in today. We've got a great guest to, uh, for you today as well. Uh, his name's Fausto Castellanos, and Fausto's a spiritual advisor, a motivational speaker, and clinical counselor. Uh, he's also referred to as the hope dealer uh, due to his impact on society. He's down in one of my favorite places, Orange County, California. Oh man, I miss that place. Uh, we'll be down there soon though, uh, next couple of months actually. I'm looking forward to that. But Fosto's worked with celebrities. Uh, he's spoken in front of thousands of people. He's helped start a movement, giving away free counseling, food, meetings, fellowship, uh, and just doing some great work in his community and beyond. So I'm really uh, excited to have him on the show today to share some of his story and the amazing work that he's doing. Uh, Fosto, it's great to have you, man. How are you? Oh, man. I'm good, brother. That was an amazing, amazing uh, intro. I'm like, dude, is he talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Well, well, you know what, man? Like, um, you're doing a great, a great work. You know, you're doing great work and you're doing a great thing by just putting yourself out there and trying to give back and be of service and, and help people, man. And so um, I appreciate you saying that. But honestly, man, it's um, it's really special to be able to honor you, even though we, we don't know each other yet. But I have a feeling we're going to get to know each other and, uh, and become quick friends. Um, but great to honor you, bro. And I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, yeah. thank you for having me, man. Yeah, so Orange County, man. Are you are you born born and raised Orange County guy? Did you move there? How how'd that work for you? Yeah, born and raised. You know, born in Orange County. Lived in LA County for like a year, but my whole life is always OC. Just different parts of it. Yeah, yeah, love it, man. Yeah, we like I, I mentioned, we chatted a little bit before we started recording. We spent some time down at Huntington Beach and uh, and kind of back and forth between there and Newport as well. And just a great place, man. There's something about the ocean the beach, the culture down there. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of Jesus lovers down there, man, just a great community. And, uh, man, we, we really, we really loved it. How long have you, well, you've been there. Let's see, you said you're born and born and raised there. So, but you've been, um, kind of doing work down there and all of that for, you know, how long? I would say since I got sober is when I really focused on like really, um, being of service. So about six and a half years, Nice. But I've always been around doing things. It just was more in the party scene, and now it's in the Jesus scene. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, what's uh? So, I mean, so and I want to dive into the work and stuff too. What else do you do besides yeah. besides work and serving people? Do you surf? Do you skate? Do you do uh, music? <laughs> I mean, anything else? Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know. It's like so. I believe God made me in a way so unique that everything's boring to me, but serving others. Like literally <laughs> my it. hobbies are helping people. My business is helping people. My brand is helping people. My social media is helping people. My job is helping people. My recovery is helping people. My ministry is helping people. So really that to me, like my hobbies outside of that is just, I have an athlete mindset, you know? Wow. So I might not be playing sports anymore, but I, I want to run a hundred miles. I want to cycle 
you know, 300 miles. I want to fast for 30 days. I want to go vegetarian. I want to ice bath therapy. That's kind of always my mentality for hobbies for me is just challenging right. myself in a very athletic way. When did, uh, when did you find God? When did you find Jesus? Like, was that something that happened as, when you were young? Was it something when you happened after you got sober? Yeah, so it happened the day before I started my sobriety. So I was never like, uh, I didn't have any religious trauma. I grew up Catholic, but to me, it was just, oh, I got friends in Catholic Sunday school. I'll go for them. But it was never a connection. High school, we would go to a Christian church because they gave us free food and we would always smoke weed. So it was like, cool, free food. But there was never this uh, resistance because I've always felt like I've been um, a spiritual seeker. You know what I mean? Whether it's, okay, I want superpowers. Okay, how do I be the strongest person? How do I be the smartest person? Like there has to be something out there. Yeah. So there was never resistance. I just didn't really know how to connect with God because from what I saw wasn't my flavor until I got to a point of desperation and I reached out for help. And somebody read scripture to me that God gives his strongest battles to his strongest warriors. Mm. And it was an emotion that that gave me of relief for the first time in 25 years. Like imagine having a migraine headache for 25 years and then words from a book removes it. So it was that emotional experience that I was like, is this God? Like, I want this. And then I went to AA the next day and started my journey. Oh man, that's amazing, dude. Um, I I too grew up uh, going to Catholic church, catechism, confirmation, first communion, all of it. And and mad respect to my, my, my grandparents and my, you know, the, the church and whatever, but it just, um, there's a big difference for, for me. And I've talked about this many times on the podcast. It's actually one of my favorite topics. It seems to come up a lot and I'd love to hear your take on it. There was such a difference for me, um, separating religion from a relationship with God. And, um, I'm not saying I have all the answers to it. I still ponder things often with this and just my own walk, but do you have a take on that or any thoughts on, on the difference between, um, you know, spirituality and religion? Well, there's that saying I love, right? Religion is for people who are scared to go to hell and spirituality is for people who've already been to hell, you know? So, so my take on it is always, I've always loved that, right? I've lived on hell on earth. And, um, when I had that relationship with God and I found God really through the rooms of AA. And to me, I always feel like there's more God in AA than church for me, in my opinion, because it's just such a raw vulnerability and acceptance and where sometimes the church is, it's like, well, you can't say that. You can't really do that. Or you're not married yet. Even though they're good people, they start to throw these really religious things, right? So to me, spirituality is just like radical acceptance. Mm. No judgment. Love people where they're at. And religion is change people where they're at. Accept mm. some people and be the gift of correction. That, to me, that's what religion is. Yeah, that's a great great example, yeah. man. I love it. I always love hearing people's takes. It's always a little different. That's that's really, really uh uh, interesting to hear. Um, so let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. Um, what did like, how, how'd you tell us a little bit about how you grew up? You said you grew up Catholic, but as a kid, and then how did that kind of lead you down a path to, um, addiction to alcohol, to other drugs? I'm not sure yeah. if that's part of your story or what. Yeah. For me as a kid, I can always remember being an anxious kid, but I didn't know what it was. It was just like, okay, I'm, I always felt on edge. I always felt uncomfortable. I'm like afraid to talk to people. <clears throat> um, I always felt different, but I didn't know how to communicate it. Right. So it was kind of just me in my head experiencing this feeling and always looking for a way to get out of that feeling. And at home, my dad was a narcissist. 
So always walking on eggshells. She's controlling, selfish, angry, abusive. So that's my household. So what I t- what I would always do is I'd always be outside playing with my friends. I need to get out. So I would always look for male attention. I saw it whether it's my uncle. Um, I I've had a, I had a one cousin that I'd always try to hang out with as much as I could, but they didn't live near me. So I'd hang out with the older kids in my complex. And so always looking for validation, always looking for acceptance, um, and always running away from how I'm feeling. So I'd always try to, you know, people please. And then what ended up happening was, was one of those boys sexually abused me when I was seven. But see, in my mind at the time, I didn't see nothing wrong with it because I was confused. I was like, okay, this older boy who kind of bullies me is being nice to me. Okay, I've never, I've never really felt this at the house. I feel seen. I feel heard and I feel important. I don't feel those things at home. So to me, I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. It's just like, oh, this feels cool. It was the next day he went back to bullying me. And then I was like, what What happened? Is it, I must have did something wrong. It must be me. That uncomfortable feeling gets you know escalated. And then fear, shame, and guilt is born in my life. And so I just said, okay, I got to run away from this now. So that's where I learned that <clears throat> when something extreme happens to me, because I got a concussion in fourth grade, that people give me attention. I had a concussion, three flags up, and all of a sudden I was the most popular kid in school. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, so if something bad happens to me, people give me attention. So then I started exaggerating. I started lying. And then in middle school, it was, um, I want to be a punk rocker because we're the ones that stand out. So I'm going to use that to like, you know, co-sign why I don't fit in. So now I'm a punk rocker. And um, and then it's dating. Now I meet a girl, I get a girlfriend for the first time, like, Oh, you like me? That must mean I must like you back. Okay, because you're giving me attention. And now I feel important. I feel seen. I feel like I matter. What, what ends up happening is the girlfriend in seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade, when they would break up with me, I used to think it was because I was sexually abused by a boy in my head. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Because I always knew what happened and I yeah. thought it was my fault. So if a girl left me, my narrative was they must have saw that thing that I feel. You know what I mean? I'm not manly enough. A question my sexuality must be that. And the guy that they're with now is because he's manlier than me. So I would try to change up my style. Skateboarder, uh, hippie, bodybuilder, um, videographer, tattoos, piercings. Like I'm always trying to like figure out like this formula, but it would always fail. And then uh, ninth grade, I uh, get out of school because I just couldn't handle being in school, like that anxiety of being around people. So I faked my own death, which didn't work. Made a YouTube video, Incubus music, car crash from Google. <laughs> and then the next day I go to school, I tell my teacher, I'm hearing voices that kill people so I could go home, right? In a very innocent way. I was like, oh yeah, can I just go home? Wow. And then they 5150 me. <laughs> 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 so, so now once I get out, because the extreme of like, oh, so I'm like the crazy guy. I kind of like this. Mm. So when I go back to my around my friends, I'm going to show them my pills. Look, I got Seroquel. I'm schizophrenic and I'm not. But it was just another character, right? To gotta get that yeah. attention. And so I don't have to go to school. I do independent studies. I get my wish. And I'm pretending to be crazy. And then uh, what ends up happening is a friend of mine goes, hey, do you, like, do you smoke? I'm like, what, weed? Of course I lie. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. So I smoke it. And I hated it. But I pretended to like it. But it was like the next couple of weeks, I had a friend say, you drink? Fuck yeah, I drink. Like, of course I do. Like, all the time. Now that was the moment where I found my God the first time, right? Mm-hmm. I drink this alcohol, it hits me, and all that anxiety, 
all that fear, all that uncomfortability evaporates. Yeah. I felt free. I had a good time. I was laughing and I was like, whoa, I need this to live. Because I was a very suicidal kid to this point, you know, just because I just hated how I felt. So to me, it was like, this was God to me, right? Like I found the answer to life. And so anything I could do to drink was my goal. <laughs> Ask homeless people, older kids, steal it, have friends who have it. That was my uh, focus. And then I, that opened up the doors to ecstasy. Then I moved to LA and I have an older cousin and they just drink and skateboard. I was like, sick. But then he gets into the gang life. So then, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what do you guys do? We do cocaine. We do crack. We do meth. So now I'm getting into that. And when I get into the meth, then I have an experience of getting molested for six months by a family friend. And now again, in my head, it was like, well, this happened to me as a kid. It's happened to me as a teenager. This must just be my life. And then I was confused because first time I'm on meth, this guy's like 50-something years old. It feels right, right? So in my head, I'm like, well, if it feels right, what does that mean? Like, it, it must mean it's my fault. Mm. Because, you know, in movies, you see movie scenes, it's like screaming, ah! Yeah. So I'm like this kid, like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? How old are you at this then time? I real 14. Wow, okay. Yeah. And then I realized that I'm like, oh, dude, I can't keep on smoking meth. Like, it's not like other drugs. You know what I mean? It's affecting me. So... I stopped, but I was afraid to stop going over to that person's place because I was like, well, if I stop going, they'll tell my mom. That's the crazy delusion I was in, right? So I'd go back. The silver mine that is still happening. And that was the first time I prayed. I was like, God, if you're real, get me out of the situation. And God listened. And we got out, came back to OC. But again, it was, well, that was my fault, right? So no one could know. So I suppressed that. And then at this point, it's just like I become the party guy. I'm back in OC. All my friends are like, you're back. There's house parties now. We're going to house parties, mm. drinking, doing ecstasy, just just those two. And uh, I just become that character. And then I get into working out again. And then I get a girlfriend. So I'm like, oh, 18 years old, got the girlfriend, work at a skate shop. Like, like I'm fixed. And then at 21 years old, you know, she cheats on me. It was a very toxic relationship. But at the time, it was... Okay, she cheated on me because she knew what happened to me. She saw that same thing in me, and that's why she's with this person. So I spiral. Quit my job, stop showing up, um, having seizures from too much cocaine. And then I turned 21. I realized, okay, I need, to, I need to calm down. So I get a job as a server now. And I'm like, oh, this is tight. Like, people party? I do blow? We make a bunch of money serving? And there's hot chicks? Like... My best life. So more tattoos. I get the GQ model look. And uh, I'm like, dude, I'm stoked. I'm coming in. I'm like, yeah, I can get cocaine. I got a bar that my buddy runs, like free drinks on me. Like I felt like a king. Yeah. And it was fun for a long time. People were like, I brought everyone together because I was always kind. So I literally get everybody free drinks, free drugs, celebrate their birthdays, throw events, have DJs, have hip hop artists, photo booths. So from 21 to 22, having fun. And then I get another girl. So I'm like, I'm fixed. I got this girl. We all hang out together. We do stuff together, all my friends. And, uh, but again, you know, it was still toxic. At the time, I didn't think I was a toxic one. But hey, I'm doing drugs. I'm lying. You know, I'm drinking too much. I'm inconsistent. I have the flu a year at a time, right? <laughs> I always have the flu. So 
25 years old. I get cheated on again by this chick. And at this point, I'm just like, dude, like she must know too. So I self-destruct. I'm having three to five grandma seizures a day. Um, and uh, my mom has cancer at this point and I just can't stop. And I realized that I tried the whole, okay, this is Corona. Nope. I'm doing Now I need drugs. Like I don't like the buzz anymore. I need drugs. And I see that obsession. My mom's cancer can't stop me. I'm like, dude, what's going on? And now I can't pay bills. My work fired me. Things are getting weird. Now that now the, now the people around me are knowing because I was always hiding it. Yeah. And so at this point I tried committing suicide. I was broken. I was lost and I was desperate. And for whatever reason, I had one person because I was a magician at one point too. <laughs> and he was a magician. And I remember he was the only person I knew that was like, well, you went to prison for magic. You're stealing cars and making them disappear. <laughs> then you found God. And now, and now you got an amazing, you know, like wife. I was like, yeah. I need help. And so he was the one that picked me up and read me that scripture. And oh I had that God. spiritual experience of like, so God gives his strongest powers or strongest battles to his strongest warriors. So I thought in that moment was, wait, God, are you saying I was meant to go through all that pain because I was strong enough to help out other people grow through it? That was that relief and that perspective switch where I always wanted to have powers. I've always wanted to help people. How cool is it that that was always my purpose? Yeah. It was just through the pain. Mm -hmm. And so I remember a TV show where this guy went to AA. So I was like, oh, there's a thing called AA. I think I'm supposed to go there now. So I look it up. It's Fullerton, Orange County, Alano Club. And I just go the next day. And at this point, I'm a Jesus freak, right? That, I had that spiritual experience. I'm skipping, telling everyone about God for like the next 24 hours. I'm like, yeah. you guys don't even know. So then I go to AA and I have all this spiritual confidence because I have social anxiety. So I have spiritual confidence to walk in this meeting. It's a podium meeting. So at the time, I just thought all meetings were like that. I was like, do you, do you come around? I'm like, is that what I am? Yeah. Do you want to share? Yeah, yeah. So I go share. And what I just told you, I said for the first time, and this guy came up to me after, and he went, me too. Mm. That was the moment I knew that I wasn't alone. That was the moment I knew that that spiritual experience was real. When God kept his promise, it was purpose to my pain, was to help others. And now I feel at home for the first time in my life, and I feel connected. I felt connection the way that alcohol and drugs gave me in a delusional way. Yeah. I felt it in AA through God in a healthy way. And so that was the beginning of my sobriety was that moment, and I've never looked back. Oh, I love it, man. Um, man, you talked to, you talked about a lot of different uh, uh, identities and, and trying to yeah. find really it sounds like you're really trying to find yourself and find who you are and what your purpose is and um, you know trying different things and different looks and, and different um, activities and whatever. Um, and and you know in that, you end up finding like your true purpose in serving others, you know, in the long run. So like, yeah. um, but I guess, I guess I, I really relate to that in the fact of, I always felt the same. We have some similarities in our story as you were sharing and, um, just like growing up and, and not really feeling seen and not really feeling valued and not really feeling heard. And so it almost created this character that I really wanted to be seen and heard and find like, and feel um, loved, I think a little bit too. Did you yeah. have, did, did you, did you feel and experience that in that, um, in those moments of like searching for who you were searching for your purpose? Yeah. It was like, these characters were just me seeking validation and acceptance and love. Yeah. Like, like I, I, like I discovered if I'm funny, 
the hot girl laughs. Kind of just like that little kid, mm-hmm. like, oh, like they laughed at something I said because I don't feel like I could talk to them. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. I, it's like my mind saw that, like, okay, if I'm funny, so be funny. But then it was like, uh, uh, you know, skateboarder. Well, all the skateboarders, like people like the cool skateboarders. So if I get really good at skateboarding, then I have value. And then it was the same thing with uh, tattoos. I thought the guys with the tattoos are like, you know, they're cool. They're valued. Hey, man, nice tattoo. Yeah, you got a tattoo, not even 18. I'm like, yeah, you know, like yeah. just trying to chase that love. I just wanted love so bad to be accepted. Yeah. So it was very performance driven. So everything I did was for that attaboy. Yeah. You know, you're good. You're amazing. And it's, it's, it's crazy because all of that stuff is searching for identity. It's searching for um, uh, validation in the world. And we can never yeah. find that in the world. It doesn't exist as a, as a man, as a person. We, it's not, um, it's, it's not attainable in a sense. And I, I have a friend of mine, Jacoby. I remember him saying this one time he was speaking at a, at a church we went to and he said, and he had been, you know, he's in the music business and, um, has, you know, been toured the world and women and drugs and all, all the things, man. And he said, he said, I tried everything, you know, and, and a man's soul is, is so big. It doesn't matter though how much stuff we stuff in it and try to keep fulfilling. We will never be fulfilled. We will only be fulfilled by the spirit of Jesus, like period. Like that's it. Right. And man, dude, it like it sounds it sounds like once you hit that point, like you said, that switch hit, and then what happened next? Yeah, so so for mine, mine's so different too for people. Like so when that switch hit and I walked into AA and I had that experience. I became addicted to recovery. I became addicted to God and addicted to helping people. So I didn't know you were supposed to be anonymous. Remember, I had no idea like what AA was. I literally saw on a TV show. So that moment, the day before I walked into AA, when I experienced God and I was a Jesus freak, I put my whole story on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. And so I went super recover out loud before it was a thing. And it was like, people were like, dude, no way, me too. I can't believe you shared that. Like, I always felt alone, mad respect. Hey, man, you got this. And so, again, it was just kind of, again, it was almost like the character that I always like to play was working this way now. And so, when I went to AA, I shared it. I didn't even, pay, I didn't even hear the anonymous thing. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't hear that. I didn't comprehend that. So, I literally, if you go on my Instagram, I documented every single day of this journey. And I was just all in. And it, all the attention I was getting from Instagram, it was like feeling like, I was like, damn, God is so real. Look at how all this is working out. My Instagram's growing. People are connecting. I'm helping people online. I'm helping myself. I feel alive. I feel at peace. So I was just go, 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 go. Share your story every day. Help people every day. Work your steps with your sponsor. Go sponsor people. And I started getting on magazines. I started getting interviewed. I got, I became one of the best jump ropers in the world because I switched my addiction to jump rope that first year. And I was getting interviewed by all these top jump rope companies, Olympic athletes, and it was all like beating addiction with a jump rope. And so there was just so much happening in that beginning that my first year was probably a pink cloud year. Like, I, I swear to God, even my sponsor was like, I was worried about you because you got so much that first year and you did so much. I mean, I solo traveled, I was going on road trips, I was blogging. Um, it was just insane. And, uh, that my first year was like that. It was, it was so easy, but I really think it was my daddy issues. 
led me to wanting to please my sponsor. So I was like, man, I'll work those steps right now. Yeah. Like seriously, yeah, like yeah. that motivated it. And then the character I always played, right? That funny character, the character for validation. I almost, God almost used that defect for my first year to push me. Cause like God knew like, all right, I'm going to let you use this because you're too sensitive. You, you need a good first year. <laughs> like you can't handle it. Cause my first year at my one year, it's so embarrassing. And it's on YouTube. <clears throat> my first year I took a party bus. I had photographers and videographers come with me to AA. I came in the meeting. They all sat in there recording the meeting. <laughs> I come in all loud and obnoxious. And when I share my story, I go, you know what, guys? I'm about to change AA for everyone. We're going to change the prayers. We're going to change how we're going to share. And we're going to change the book because I'm the guy super spiritually prideful with my first year. <laughs> I'm sure that went over really well in a room full yeah. of dudes from AA. Oh, like, I, I know. Wow. Now I look back, I'm like, oh, man, that was embarrassing. Oh, see, yeah. I was never prideful and like i'm better than you i was just so happy yeah, to help you but i was excited. like i'm god's yeah. chosen one you know yeah, yeah. god's chosen one <laughs> it's funny how like uh even so and what i'm hearing as you're describing this and thank you for being so open about it man is but yeah. like it, i think it's an example of how um I think your intentions sounded like they were they were really good, but it's still yeah. like the ego can be so strong still, and the pride and the um, the want to even do good can sometimes we can get kind of lost in that too, you know. Yeah. And you're completely right because I mean I'm, I've always been a genuine person. Like yeah. I mean I would pay people's bills, pick them up, let them sleep over at my house. I'm driving 300 miles a week to help people, help my mom. I paid all my mom's bills the first year. That's what I'm saying. It was all acts of kindness. Everything was good, yeah. but it was just, I learned down the road. It's like, that's not a realistic way of, of life. You know, like you're not always yeah. going to feel that high on God. Things are not always going to work out that easily. That pink and, cloud um, was like hot pink, man. That thing was hot <laughs> pink. like Crazy, like crazy. <laughs> like, I, I was like, oh, being on that pink cloud. <laughs> yeah, and that's a real thing too. I, you know, for those listening, if you've never heard that term before, it's something that is, um, you know, it's it's fairly used often in the in the recovery community. And, uh, you know, for, for somebody who is new to recovery, maybe the first 30 days, even up to the first year, I think they say, um, it's pretty common. You know, you're excited, you're pumped up, you're, you're almost high on this new spiritual path and the change. And, um, you know, so it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in that. And gosh, I mean, I would take that any day over a life full of bad decisions and alcohol and drugs by any means, but, um, it is a a part of a lot of people's, uh, story. So your, your pink was, or your cloud was super hot at that time. And, uh, so take us through what happens kind of after that. So then the second year was funny. So the second year was the first, so in the first year, my mom did get cancer again. So that was, I would see you know, again, it wasn't, it was an easy year, but there were still difficult things, right? Like loneliness. I mean, I was running every day to stay out of my head, going to a lot of meetings, um, getting out of debt, a lot of prayer. But again, it was just that God was so real that year to me that I can pray and he would answer that day. That's kind of like what was so like strong. So going through my mom's cancer, God spoke to me right away. She beat it. It was cool. But the second year was when I ran into the first time where I learned how treatment can kind of be weird sometimes. So I was a bartender till nine months sober, which I don't recommend because that was my job before. But then I got into treatment because one of my regulars, his dad owned a treatment center. So then I experienced working in rehab and it was again, super fun. And then after about six months going into my second year is when I experienced the first like, Hey, some shady stuff might be going on. Like maybe she's looking for work. I'm like, what do you mean? And then I heard about treatment, how there's like body brokering, all this stuff. Right. And I was like, Oh, okay. So what ends up happening was, uh, I end up not taking a full-time position where I was. <clears throat> I was like, I'll just do part-time. 
things are getting weird. But then they laid me off anyways. So then my buddy of mine was like, hey, do you want to work up in Van Nuys for me in a treatment center? So I was like, sweet. I'm like, see, God's so easy with me. But when I went there, uh, I was unhappy. Mm -hmm. I'm living in LA, Van Nuys, unhappy, away from everybody. I didn't like the recovery. And I was like, damn, am I being weak? Am I making excuses? Like, you know what I mean? Because that's how I used to be. Like, maybe I'm overthinking it. But also, you need a man up, just go through it. But I was miserable. So I talked to some people. They said, hey, if you tried it, you sat with it, you're not happy, just leave. It's okay. So that was the first part of weird emotions. I'm like depressed, suicidal. So I was like, what's going on? And then I come back to OC, get another job, and it was terrible again. And I was like, dude, what's happening now? Like, I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, I don't get it. Like, why is everything not working all of a sudden, right? Because I thought my whole life was the pink cloud. So I get depressed, money's, uh, I'm hurting for money, I'm just confused, and I'm like overthinking. Well, I was a high school dropout, college dropout, now, now everything's kicking in, is the reality. I don't know what to do now. I don't want to go back to bartending because of the drugs and the alcohol, and I was spitting. Yeah. And um, just a lot of emotions. And it, it wasn't until someone gave me this book from ACA, I don't know if you've ever heard of those meetings. Yeah. But that, that book, book fat, uh, that just a fat red book, man. I have it. Huge. So I started going to that meeting and then I learned about the terrible twos. Mm. Second year, terrible twos, just like a kid or an animal, all your emotions come back. And so I, I understood why I was feeling like that. Brought me peace. Stoked I didn't relapse at all because of all the negative emotions for so many months and things not working out. And once I realized that, then all of a sudden, um, I get a job, better pay than I wanted, a better position than I wanted. I became a counselor. Mm. All my coworkers were amazing. I started going to school, and school was amazing. I was actually doing good. I was shocked. I was like, well, I didn't think I was as smart. And so then again, like six months of it was very emotional, but that's I had to go through understanding that this is just life. Recovery is not always going to be like that. So it humbled me. And then when I found the gratitude for things going my way, I learned to like, appreciate it now as it comes yeah so that was my second year was learning about life's not a pink cloud and it really humbled me to be more um hey i hope i'm good next week but all i have is today that mentality started to kick in for me that yeah. second year and then the third year got even better because the third years when <clears throat> i got a car i had a girlfriend sober girlfriend i was happy it was a healthy relationship we got a place in irvine Everything was great. I was going to Thailand. I was traveling, more interviews, more podcasts. And so uh, life was really good again. You know, again, I was like, this is rad. Like, this is cool. I'm getting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this is the COVID year. But most people had a bad COVID year. I had a good COVID year only because the car was cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> the bougie apartments were cheaper. You know what I mean? I had a rad girlfriend. Yeah. My work didn't shut down. And my ministry still allowed people to hang out. So it was really good. Uh, that year was really good, but that year did end off with being cheated on. And that was a twist because I thought my addiction was why I got cheated on. You know, so when I did my four step, I realized that I'm the toxic one. I attract toxic. I can forgive the girls for cheating on me. And I probably deserved it. I was a piece of shit. And also, I stood in the relationship too long. You know what I mean? Like, they're trying to get rid of me. I'm like, you're not getting rid of me. So you know, everything started to make sense. My story starts to change. Like, oh, of course I got cheated on 20 times. I wouldn't leave. Now it's not because I was this and that. Yeah. So, so you're, I thought you're I kinda, killed you're, all that. You're kind of like what you're what you just said is at least the way I hear it is you're yeah. letting go of that victim mentality in a sense too. Yeah. Because that's a huge that's a huge thing for a lot of people when we're working through some of that <laughs> stuff. It's not easy, but that's a that's a 
like a, it's a total transition in a new direction once you recognize that. A hundred percent. It's a whole new way of looking at life and, and my life to be able to forgive. And um, so when I got, when I got cheated on, luckily I did that work because when I got cheated on, I was like, first it was the worst thing ever for me. Cause I thought that I figured it out. Right. When I, when I forgave, I healed with the therapy. So I was confused in that moment. And now we have a place together. And so I was like, I can't live here. I can't afford it alone. And I'm not going to live here because the old me would want to stay. I can't do that. And then my mind's like, also don't break anything. That's stupid. But also don't cause a scene. Don't, don't screenshot the messages and post them on Facebook. Right. That's the old me. So I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in it, but I'm like, God, but why, you know, I hate this. You know, I can relapse because of this. Like being cheated on to me is worse than being abused as a kid. That's just my story. So I was so confused and all this is happening in a matter of like 10 minutes in my head. But Luckily, I called AA friends. They picked me up, moved me out. I moved into my pastor's church because I don't want to be alone. And it was so powerful because I'm laying in my bed, crying to God, why'd you do this? And he goes, remember when you prayed for, for more money because you wanted to save more money? I was like, well, yeah. He goes, now you don't got rent. And I just started right. laughing and laughing. And, that, and that's God right there, right? It still hurt the pain, but I was able to find laughter in that moment. And I was able to stay focused on going to more meetings, being with my people, being open. And God showed me that this needed to happen because you were still dating women that reminded you of your dad. Mm, Narcissistic, yeah. selfish, self-centered. They were just, just sober. This one was not bad as other ones. Yeah. But there was still the selfishness, self-centeredness that you didn't see because you didn't know yet. And so I was able to go to EMDR therapy, work on that, forgive my ex, move past it, not relapse. And uh, it was a very healing thing for me. I needed was EMDR because trauma is in the body parts, not the mind. Mm. And so it doesn't matter how much talk therapy or praying I do. It's not in my heart or my mind, it's in my body. So once I removed it, I started to experience my sobriety in a very uh, free way where I wasn't as triggered. I wasn't as afraid. I wasn't as insecure. <laughs> it was crazy. I went from insecure to secure for the first time in my life mm. through that experience mm. in my third year of sobriety. Yeah, dude. Um, so there, a lot of like I hear a lot of uh, uh, like trauma is a theme in your in your whole yeah. you know um, testimony and just your whole life experience, even from a young age at, at seven. I think you, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, how like so to to kind of relate to someone or, or or share a little bit with someone maybe who they've gone through something. Maybe they've never told anybody about it. Maybe they're listening to this right, right. now and they go, man, like I, I know that that's there. It's way back deep in the back of my mind. I feel it in my body. I don't know what the heck, you know, I don't even know how to start with that. Like, what would you like say to somebody? What, what would you, what would you do to, to help them? First thing I would say is you got to find somebody with your story that's actually healed through it and living a good life. Hmm. Cause that's going to probably be your person to lean on to maybe open up or unless you open up to a therapist, right? Um, we need to find that safe space to open up because it's a very sensitive subject and it affects you in a very unique way that a lot of people can't handle that conversation. And the last thing you need is to feel unsafe when you try to open up about that because you may never open up again. So yeah, you got to find a safe space to open up with it because um, that will kill you if you don't talk about it. Yeah. It will affect your love life it will affect intimacy. It will affect your relationship with your sexuality, with people, with God. I mean, so much it does excuse everything because your foundation of love and sex and intimacy is on being abused, yeah. you know? So yeah, you got to find somebody because 
Like for me, what I did was my four step allowed me to write it down who it was, how it affected me by what happened. And then ugh, that put it on paper. And this is the hardest part. What was your part in it? Yeah. Right. So tough, that, yeah. that, that can trigger you. And I remember when I first heard that it did trigger me. I was like, what do you mean my part? I was a kid. Well, should I not have been right there with a kid? Like, how do I know? But what I realized was my part was just holding on to it. Yeah. And so my sponsor said, holding on to it. And that's what he brought up. Does it affect your love life, your intimacy, relationship with men, all that I was And yeah. He goes, what happens if you were to forgive it? Now all that would change. Mm -hmm. That opened up my eyes to like, okay, that, that, that yeah. sounds good. And then my part is just holding on to it. Like, I don't have to go to him and say, sorry, I forgive you. Or like, yeah. he goes, no, 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 no. And then I was like, okay, okay, I, okay, I can do this. And then I wrote a forgiveness letter to myself, uh, to the person, yeah. very detailed, forgiving what they did to me. <clears throat> and I burnt it. What I had yeah. to do to do this though was hurt people, hurt people. It's very easy to say, dad beats up mom, then son beats up wife. Really easy to understand that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it checks out. Monkey see, monkey do. But people forget that maybe the person who abused you was sexually abused, Yeah. right? So I had to create that narrative, whether it's true or not. I had to create that narrative for the people who did that to me to understand why, to let it go, yeah. to forgive. And then once I did that, I started the process because it's a journey. But I always shared about a meeting. That was a person. Even someone said, hey, don't share that. I didn't care. Though. This is my story. I'm going to share it. Because if somebody in here needs to hear it, I'm their guy. And so I would always share that. Always do. Whether it's a detailed version, a short version, it's always a part of my story. And every time I found a man who had more time than me with that story, I'd keep them close. Mm. And anytime I found somebody who has never opened up about it, that came up to me and said, thank you, I would make that person my friend to help them. Yeah. Good. And that, that that's the process because it's never going to go away, but you have to be okay with letting it go, forgiving, and then sharing your story to help out other men. So then now maybe, just maybe, God really does have a purpose for that pain, yeah. right? You have to believe that, but you have to help out people to believe it. Yeah, amen to so that. Good. Yeah, that's, um. so like, in, and even in the, you mentioned the, you know, the forgiveness piece of that a couple of times, um, you're not necessarily forgiving the person just to forgive them. They're, like, in other words, you're not letting them off the hook in a right. sense, but you're forgiving them for you as well, right? Yeah. For, for, for your own um, uh, ability to recover from that and move on from it. And which is like, like you said, and then you ask yourself like, well, what's my part in this? You know, and I'm, someone might <laughs> yeah. go, well, how, how the hell do you have a part in that? You know, that didn't, yeah. they, that person did it well, you know, and, and, there is though, we always have a part in everything and it might not be, yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the victim or the uh, aggressor part of it, but, um, it's something that has to be addressed. And I love what you're saying about, you know, finding others who have a similar experience because they can relate, they can yeah. share with you. They versus going and just running off to a therapist and, and, and nothing against, you know, therapists or anything. Yeah. They're obviously there to help, but if they maybe haven't experienced that exact thing, it might be a little harder to relate and to form a, you know, a trust, a trusting relationship in order to grow on versus somebody who um, has kind of been through that at the same time. Do you agree with that? I agree with that a hundred percent. Like you said, like, you know, I'm a clinical counselor and like you said, yeah, it's, it's no disrespect to people, but my opinion, maybe like yours is 
in order to understand certain things, you have to go through it. Yeah. That's just what it is. Like you yeah. just can't read about it because it's the yeah. psyche and all the experiences, how, how it affects living your life. It's how you can speak to that person. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and I truly, I, I truly agree with that. And, and I don't, and I, you probably would agree with this too, or maybe not. I don't know, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody can't help somebody too, who has right. gone through that. I mean, absolutely. Like people help all the people all the time. It doesn't mean they had to exactly go through it. But I guess my point was, is like, there's a much deeper connection with somebody. And uh, when you're, especially when you're working one-on-one with somebody, um, when they've experienced the same thing or something similar yeah. in that aspect, because yeah. you have that, you kind of have that bond there, which, which is definitely <clears throat> helpful. So um, how about uh, uh, applying um, meaning and purpose to our lives. You've talked a little bit about that fi- mm-hmm. finding your purpose. Um, what's, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, for me, it's like, it's so important because so scientists did a study. I believe purpose and God are go hand in hand. So scientists did a study on addicts and alcoholics. When they drink alcohol and do drugs, it releases the same chemicals in their brain as when they pray mm-hmm. and when they walk in purpose and connect with God and worship. So to me, I think all addicts and alcoholics, we need purpose to thrive in our life and not go back to the old way of living. And so to me, it's like purpose is a must. Purpose is a high. Purpose is a buzz. Mm. And so to walk in purpose is to get high and drink on God, you know what I mean, on spirituality. So for me, it's everything. And that's why in my life, I'm a very purpose-driven person. Mm. I have to feel like what I'm doing serves a bigger purpose. If not, it's empty. And if I live in that emptiness too long, then I start to lust. I start to crave. I start to lie. I start to question things. And I start to, you know, my behaviors come back. And I, I can recognize it. Yeah. And there's a saying that says, a man who lacks purpose seeks pleasure. And I've totally seen that to be true when I'm out of my purpose. Yeah, that's good. A man who lacks purpose seeks pleasure. It's almost <clears throat> like the the... You hear a lot of people say, well, man, like, uh, and I get a lot of emails and, and messages about this. Well, I just, like, I'm just, I just get bored. I drink a lot because I'm just bored. Well, okay. I hear you're bored, but it's, it sounds more like you don't have any purpose. Like you're not having any, yeah. there's no direction in what you're doing, whether it's work or whether it's serving others or just a hobby or whatever it is. So finding something, um, you know, in that and, and uh, preferably something higher than us, that's yeah. not, you know, not here. I mean, that's uh, that's going to be a huge, a huge place to start. Um, yeah, man, this is great, dude. I appreciate you coming on today. Um, we we got a few minutes left. Uh, what what are you up to now? Like, what's how, how's life today? How's life treating you? I know you're you're busy. You said you're about to start a podcast pretty soon, which is awesome. Man. Yeah. Congrats on that. What's going on in uh, in Fosto's life these days? Yeah, so it's pretty wild. <clears throat> so, so what I've shared with you guys so far, right, is my past getting into recovery in the first three years and then the next three years, four, five, and six, see four and five, four, five, and six were really difficult for me. You can say I got to this place of, again, even bigger podcasts, working with bigger celebrities, traveling the world, uh, making a lot of money in my own business that I started, which was nice. You know what I mean? For someone to start a business where it's just your own thing and you're making a hundred K the first time you try a year, like that's cool. Yeah. I said a million, but like, Hey, I'm like, I just made this thing up and it's working. Like this is yeah. tight and I'm working 20 hours a week, not 40. So I was feeling so good. Right. Fourth year going in the fifth, like, man, like this is cool. Uh, masters in theology. got my, you know, I got my cat seat too. Uh, you know, graduating college. It was just incredible. Right. 
Uh, I got an awesome girlfriend now. Like it was just like, it's healthy. It's amazing. I'm secure. Uh, I throw these big events where there's like a thousand people. I give out $40,000 with the gifts. I got DJs, dancers. Like I'm really well known in my community, like really well known. And um, I got to this place where I felt miserable. The most depressed, miserable, suicidal I've ever been in my life. Um, and, uh, three, you know, uh, Christmas week that just passed in years, I tried committing suicide. I tried shooting myself in the face. I tried drowning myself in water and jumping off a balcony in a seven day period. And my girlfriend was there just like a, month, found it. a month ago, a month ago. Oh my God. So, dude. Yeah. So what ended up happening Damn. was I built a life that I wanted that ended up becoming a prison to me. Because everywhere I went, I could never be myself because somebody always knew me. Somebody always, always working with me at the treatment center or this place or that place. And I created this character of like, Foss is the guy to go to. He actually listens and cares. He'll take you out to eat. He'll help you out. He'll follow up with you. You know what I mean? I give out free therapy to groups. I do workshops. I do 700 groups a year <clears throat> in depth trauma work with people on top. Like I said, everything is like that. And so I, I just got to this place. I was like, dude, I can't keep on doing this. Like, I hate that my brand is recovery and mental health and trauma because if I want to grow more, I have to speak more. I got to network more. These opportunities didn't work now. So I got to have another opportunity. Oh, this is really cool. It didn't work out. Damn, people are spreading rumors about me. People are lying about me. People are screwing me out of business. Oh, I'm starting to see this, this truth, what's going on in this industry. And so it's so much pressure on myself. And any vacation that I went on was never enough. Having an amazing girlfriend, going to church, praying, serving others, ministry, spot, it was nothing was working. And I was like, dude, like, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I can't do another year of speaking and counseling and, you know, ministry. And I just, I just can't like, and I was so confused with God. I was like, God, I feel like you left me for two years. Cause in that two year period, uh, after I got cheated on, my aunt died at the gym. She had a seizure and died. She was young. And my family's 10 people and we're close. So when someone dies, there's a ripple effect. Yeah. And there's no men in the family. <laughs> They're all gone. Yeah. So I'm the only sober, you know, stable man in this family. So I go into that character of like, okay, I'll be there at the hospital. You know, we'll pray. How are you doing? The kids are crying. How are you doing? Okay, mom, my dad's not in the picture. I take care of my mom. So mom, how are you doing? Pull off life support. They're like, she had a brain aneurysm triggered a seizure she died right after the hospital i walk out and keep in mind i'm dealing with everybody's problem that's that's who i am right and i'm like what the hell just happened god as i'm leaving i have a grandma seizure in my car mm. i wake up in the ambulance i stop breathing for five minutes and i woke up an hour later and i was half brain dead for a month that was weird going in and out of who I am. I didn't know what God was. I couldn't pray. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drive. So it was a weird month because my cousin just died before that. And so I, I, it was just weird. Right when I came back to normal after a month, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to go to work. <clears throat> it was still scary because like, I feel like I couldn't listen to people as a, as a counselor. I was like, huh? But I tried to pray day three. Uh, it was my cousin's funeral. So I was like, okay, God, let's just get through this. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's happening, but let's get to the funeral because I got to show up as my family. I show up 10 seconds in the walking up. My cousin goes, guess who's here? He hasn't seen you in a long time. And it was the person who molested me. 
I haven't seen him in 15 years. So now I got 10 seconds to walk in and figure out how I'm going to navigate this. Cause I'm not gonna, I'm like, I'm not going to cause a scene. I'm not going to stab him. Like it would just, no one knows in the family. It would be a mess. So now I have to, Oh, how's it going? Good to see you. Oh, you're this cool. Again, I walk out and I'm like, what are you doing? God. A month later, I'm just super angry at God. I hate everything. I pray to God, help me. I'm in my car. I pray so deeply to him. I walk in my house to get a phone call. My cousin's screaming on the phone. My aunt had a seizure. The mother of the of my cousin that died had a seizure. She's in the hospital. And my cousin, that's the the daughter, the, the one that lost her sister, now her mom. She's screaming, please, this can't happen again. I'm just like, so we go to the hospital, same thing, brain dead, brain aneurysm. Is, and I'm, I'm just I'm, like. I'm, I'm a little confused. Is this all this, just last year? This was uh, or di- 2000. This was uh, 2022. Okay, got it. So in the last couple of years then. <sighs> okay. Yeah, so, so this is so this, this is, is leading up to your suicide attempt. Yeah, just in that the, was okay, last month. Okay, gotcha. I'm just making sure I'm tracking yeah. here because there's a lot of different <laughs> yeah. parts to it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So this is this is July 2022. Was my cousin, then me, then I run into my rapist, and then now my uh, now my aunt has the same problem. We're at the hospital, same family, one less person. Everyone's crying, and I play that character. Mom, that's your sister. Oh my God, that's your mom. What's going on? Fossa, can you pray over her? You believe in God. Pray. Doesn't work. Dead. So then I know in my head, the next two funerals I have to go to, the wake and the funeral, the person who molested me is going to be there. So now I have that on my mind. I see him twice. I get out of that. And then I go into 2023 just like, I don't know what you're doing, God. But I know I can't get high over this or drink. So then that year, um, was a burnout from work, compassion fatigue from helping people. I'm just kind of in limbo, questioning everything, thinking about drinking now, thinking about like, what's the point of all this stuff? Um, dealing with my mom's depression and her sadness because she's going through all that, you know, there's just, just so much. But then I go into this place of like, I got it. How about I start, you know, uh, I maybe I got to pray more. I got to find purpose in this. You know what? Maybe God put me through this to help other people. So then I go straight into the performer again and start sharing. My cousin died. I almost died. I ran into my rapist. But guess what? I'm still sober. So I'm playing that character for 2023, throwing the biggest parties ever, going to Hawaii, traveling to all these places, speaking. Again, again, everything's growing again, growing again. Podcast, boom, boom, boom. Dude, it's exa- then- it's ex- it's exhausting <laughs> just hearing you tell it, bro. Like, I feel exhausted for you, like the mind, bro, and I get it. Like, yeah. it's just nonstop, just constant, um, just, you know, energy and, 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 uh, I, you know, a lot of drive, I feel like too, and, yeah. and, you know, want to, um, help others and, and to do like what you think your purpose is too. And you've mentioned like the care and I, I hope I kind of cut yeah. you off there too, but I, I had to jump you're in. Good, like you, you said the character. So like, who, like, how how do like where are we getting the real Fosto right now? Is this a character? Uh, like what is the real Fosto? I guess is my question. Well, is that what you're getting? What we'll get. That's what you're getting to. Okay, gotcha. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I swear, yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so the so the character is obviously the hope dealer, right? I mean, it, yeah. I mean, again, it's all kind stuff, but it's like yeah, because I'm speaking in front of like 500 people, a thousand people weekly, so I have to come up with speeches, and I'm like, oh, this will be a oh, good yeah. thing. Remember, it's not about me; it's about them. And people are praising me like, oh my God, I can't believe you went through that. You're still going. 
And so I'm doing all that stuff. Um, and, uh, I'm, uh, I'm slowing down a little bit more being smarter. Right. Cause I almost died. So I'm like more date nights. I'm not showing up to things as much. I'm like, cool. I'm doing it right. I got to slow down, slow down. God says, slow down. Or you're going to die. Like that was like the, the phrase in my head. Um, uh, but what ends up happening is I'm going through this and, uh, and then, uh, my mom's health kicks in again. Something's going wrong. And I'm just like, <sighs> my cousin dies. My uncle dies. My friend dies. My best friend wife gets murdered. And I'm just like, and I'm the guy that's with my best friend every week to check in on him. Cause it's like, dude, like that's a fucked up situation. I'm going to be there with you. Yeah. And so it was just so much going on. I have no space to process everything because I'm speaking and counseling and running groups every week. And so <clears throat> right before December, I was like, I'm going to throw this big Christmas party, three months of planning, the biggest recovery event in history, $40,000 in gifts for free. I got famous hip hop artists, DJs. I mean, and it was literally probably the biggest recovery event in history. And then I was like, now I'm going to uh, the Caribbeans for 15 days with my girlfriend. Like, how cool is God? But after that vacation, as I come back, I'm like, oh my gosh, like here it is again. Like, I just, I, I'm just, I can't do this, dude. Like there's too much going on. Nothing's working. I can't pray. I'm going to church. Is, is church too much now? Is ministry too much for me? Like, I just don't know what's going on. And so that's where I got suicidal. Mm. And then all that stuff happened because it was kind of like this thing inside. I was like, God why would you allow suicide thoughts to come to my mind? You know where it takes me. You know, I can't control what it makes me feel. Why are you allowing this? Why'd you make me like this? Like, I'm so nice. I'm so kind. I probably help out more people than anybody. Like, wh why does this have to be a battle of mine? Why can't you just take care of my family? Why can't you have my mom be happy? Like, why can't you do something in my life that blesses me beyond my wildest where I can take care of everyone in my family so they can stop struggling? Like, and why can't you remove this need in my head to feel good enough? And so that's where I got suicidal because it was the only way out. And it was like a high. I was like, it's over. Like when I do this, it's over. So talking to my sponsees that week, my mom, my girlfriend, it was like the last conversation I felt like. It was euphoric. Hmm. But <clears throat> when my, my girlfriend came up to me, when she saw me, she's like, if money wasn't an issue and what you do and you can leave everything, what would you want to do? I was like, I'd move to Bali. I'd move to Bali go out there and just disconnect. I need to get away from everything. I need to get away from this character, the helping. And I just want to be with God. I need to just disconnect, but I can't, I got to take care of my mom. I got all this stuff going on. I just can't, you know, and she goes, what happens if I paid for everything so you can leave? Hmm. And I go, you serious? So she gave me an opportunity to make it happen. So March 13th, I'm moving and I'm giving up everything. Oh, wow. March 13th yeah. in like two months. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Dang, bro. And that, not... oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's what brings you to who I really am. Who I really am is this new podcast that I'm creating. Who I really am is a person who wants to just travel and have freedom and just explore life. Yeah. Um, and who, who hangs out with, you know, my mom more and my family more. I want to be able to have time to hang out with them. Like, that's what I want. I really don't care about speaking. I really don't care about being in the spotlight. That was a character I played because I never felt like anyone would ever like me if I wasn't somebody. Yeah. Dude, well, but now I know. Con congratulations on, on finding some peace in that, bro. Like, I think that's, yeah. I think, you know, that, that, uh, um, you've been through a lot, 
um, a lot of a lot of trauma, bro. A lot of uh, yeah. ups and downs, and uh, highs and lows, and probably, um, you know, the emotions that um, that are involved in all of that over the years, and it's a lot. You know, I can hear it as obviously you're sharing. Yeah. And thank you for being open with it. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I just like. I feel for you in the suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, that's that, that topic has came up quite a bit in, um, in the last couple of weeks, both in my personal life, not for me personally, but just like in different conversations with people that we know and we care yeah. about as well as on, on the podcast as well, a couple of other guests. And so, um, I just want to say, and I, I'd, I'd love for you to give a take after this too, but if you're struggling right now, reach out to somebody, you know, if you're having thoughts, yeah. if you're, if you're down, if you're depressed, if you're struggling, like reach out in, in, uh, um, you know, to somebody that you trust. And if you don't have anyone, we always put this in the show notes, the national suicide prevention lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, it's 82, uh, 1-800-273-8255 or talk. So that that's in there as well. There's, I, there's options out there, man. People care about you. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, if you, so before we wrap up, like if there's someone yeah. out there struggling, man, what advice or what, uh, what, you know, what hope can you bring them in? Yeah. If it's, again, if it's for your addiction guys, uh, reach out for help. There's programs of recovery, uh, um, there's AANA Smart Refuge Church. I mean, there's so many ways. Find the way that works for you and stay close to that community <clears throat> because people want to help you when you don't have to do this alone. And there's a lot of love in those places that will help heal you and help you grow in many aspects of your life. But you got to reach out because we don't know that you need help unless you let us know. Mm. And that applies to, you know, your trauma. Reach out for help. That applies to you know your suicidal thoughts. I understand it's a weird topic sometimes to tell somebody because some people freak out. You're afraid they're going to fifty one fifty you. They're afraid they're going to call the cops. Um, maybe you're afraid that they're going to freak out, or they give you an answer and that you don't like it because they're not really listening, and then it really feels like you're dismissed. So I get it, but when you when you there's people out there, you call the hotline. You hear people who have that story, reach out for help because people do love you but you need to say something about it because the mind is real and it will make you feel like it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So just reach out for help, find somebody to connect with because we need that safe space to say what's going on in our head because our secrets will make us sicker. Yeah. Amen to that. Thanks for sharing that, bro. Oh, looks like my mic just popped. Okay. There we go. Um, where can folks reach out to you at, man? If they want to connect, if they, uh, if they want to follow you, if they want to check out the new podcast, when that comes out, where's the yeah. best place to do it, Fosto? So the best place to reach me out right now is Instagram, which is Hope Dealer Fausto. And through there, you'll see me launching my new podcast, Not Your Average Counselor, which is going to interview people's stories on overcoming addictions, trauma, mental health, as well as different ways of living to bring love and understanding to people because I, bring lo I believe love heals. And then everything else I do will be through there. There'll be websites coming out. I mean, YouTube channel will be the Not Your Average Counselor as well. And uh, if you guys can reach me out there, there'll be a lot of good content and different wisdom and insight and a community. Love heals. I like it. Some good stuff right there. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate chatting with you and meeting you today, man. Yeah, I appreciate you too. You're really good at interviewing and asking questions. Oh, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. It's good stuff, man. God, <laughs> God's definitely uh, blessed, uh, you know, me with the with the good platform and yeah. um, just the, uh, you know connections with all kinds of different people that man I just keep learning and growing myself so i appreciate that thank you bro how, how how long have you been doing the podcast for now 
Man, since 20, uh, 2014. Uh, 2014, yeah, so it'll be 10 years coming up in April, man. So, yeah. Thanks, brother. Um, share the podcast with a friend. I hope some spoke to you today. Uh, connect with us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. Peace, love, and respect. All the links will be in the show notes. Keep your blood clean. Yeah.